0: You are about listening to the podcast of a seminar presentation by Mr. Bismarck Riwani at the Iko'i Baptist Church Golden Jubilee Celebration. Title, The Role of the Church in Rebuilding a Great Nation. Listen and be blessed. Mr. Chairman, distinguished ladies and gentlemen, um, the night is far gone, so I'm going to be quite fast about... <clears throat> well, let me join issues with um, Pat about um, the difference between the University of Baden, the primary university, and University of Ni- Nigeria. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Across the river. You know, Harvard University, across the river, you have MIT. So, But anyway, both are good universities, but Harvard is a great university, and MIT is a good university. So. Uh, University of Baden, Premier University, Lord Ashby, bless his soul, he was right. So, and I was invited here by some people from Baden as well, so I'll take that. (laughs) Mr. Chairman, I'm in order, right? Yes, okay. (laughs) Well, we are here this evening, and this is the 50 years, this morning I was at the Lagos State 50 years celebration, where we proved that it was 156 years since Lagos was colonized, and then it was actually about 40-something years when we lost the status as federal capital, and so many things went on. Well, we had somebody from Kenya who came to tell us the truth about uh, without exercising corruption... There's nowhere else. Uh, so, but today, we are here. at the, Our host is the Baptist Church. and we, uh, The church has its role in society, in making sure that society stays together. The origin of the Baptist Church is, can be traced to 1609, where it was originated as, from the English separatist movement of the 17th century. But the separatist movement itself was part of the Protestant movement, against the Catholic Church. And the Protestant movement itself was because of the dogma of papal infallibility. That means that the Pope could do no wrong. And that was the beginning of the Martin Luther Protestant movement. But in reality, the broad range of churches, Presbyterians, Congregationalists, and Baptists, were the origin of this church. And I'll come back to why the church has a role in making sure that society, that an enlightening society so that the bulk of society no not become deviant individuals. The Baptists came into existence as two distinct groups, the general Baptists and the Particular Baptists. They are present in all continents. The largest number of baptized in Africa are in Nigeria, 3.5 million Baptists in Nigeria. In the DRC or Congo, you have two million Baptists. And the United States, there are 35 million registered Baptists. But this is just the background. Well, why is the church interested in enlightenment? Why is the church interested in economics? Why is the church interested in societal stability? Because societies are hyperbole, or whatever you call it. There are people in the extreme who are genesis, and there are people who are deviants. But the bulk of society are in the middle. They are moderates, and they make things happen. When economic situations become desperate, even those in the middle, those in the moderate, become desperate. A desperate man is a dangerous man because the values collapse and he justifies doing it because he's doing it out of survival. So, to prevent this, to be proactive, churches have taken a more than passing interest in making sure that people don't, are not marginalized to a point of extreme and become desperate. And one of the reasons why we're here today is to look at the Nigerian economic context to see why we are where we are and have we learned any lessons? And if so, when is the next downturn or what we call an economic accident and how are we going to be prepared for this? So today... I'm going to talk about what we call the stark macroeconomic reality. What is the reality? Let's, what is the true position? Because every time I, if I go into an aircraft to go anywhere, people say, please tell us, are we doing okay? The guys at immigration, I came in last night asking me, oh, is the economy improving? What, what's going to happen to Naira? Should I buy stocks? I? I said, look, I'm not, an, I'm not a paid employee of the government of Nigeria, so maybe you should ask those who are paid to do this job. But anyway, we have a responsibility of making sure that we share the stark macroeconomic reality. And the reality is this. In the last five years, we had a five-year average. We have what happened in 2016 and what happened in 2017. <clears throat> the five-year average, the GDP growth in this country was 4.72%. In 2016, we have minus 1.5. Tomorrow at 10 o'clock, they're going to announce the Q1 GDP growth numbers. I don't know what it is, but my gut feeling is that it's going to be much better than what we had in 2016. In fact, it might signal the beginning of the end of a recession in the sense that you're going to positive growth. I'm speculating, and I'm praying as well. So 10 o'clock, put on channel television, Dr. Kalle is going to be there. But what is also important is that in five years, 2011 to 2015, labor productivity growth in this country was 0.58. GDP was going at 4.72, but labor productivity was 0.58, which means that even if you killed all the Nigerians, the economy would still grow at 4.12. Labor productivity growth was marginal, while GDP growth itself. And so that's why you call a natural growth economy, not a produced wealth economy we were not producing anything. In other countries like Japan, everything depends on the output, the technology, the hard work, the work ethic of the people. So, and in 2016, labor productivity growth was minus 4.2, while GDP was minus 1.5. So you see that the labor in this country or the people in this country became parasites of the economy. Not because they have no skills and all of that, but because there was a downtime. You know, that is, power was, our infrastructure was down, skills were there, the value system collapsed, and therefore labor productivity minus 4.2. This year, we expect labor productivity to be minus 1.8. Power supply, five-year average, 3,421 megawatts. In 2016, it came down to 2,900. The good news is that in 2017, we are probably heading for 4,000 megawatts. Oil price, over five years, average price was $83, 2011 to 2015. Last year, it was 44 and this year, we are looking at an average of around $56. Production, over a five-year period, 1.86 million barrels a day. Last year, 2016, we were at 1.47, and this year, we are thanking God that we are at 1.54. Our trade balance, that's the difference between our, what we export and what we import. The average in those five years was $26 billion. We had $26 billion of surplus to use for other things. Last year, we had a negative of 0.5. And this year, we are looking, praying that we should get 3.8 from an average of $26.8 billion for five years 2015. External reserves, when Obasanjo left office, External reserves got to a peak of around $60 billion. We used part of it to support ourselves, but when he was leaving office, it was about $48 billion. Last year, the average was 25.84, after dropping to 23, and now we are at about 30.56. Exchange rate in the five year, the difference between the power and and the official market was average of 20 naira. It was 190 IFM, 226 parallel. In most cases, maybe 20, 30 naira. Last year, when the official was 304, the parallel went to 520. The difference was 229. Even the most righteous person had to look at what to do about this exchange rate. This year, the borrowed exchange rate is 360, and the parallel market, as we speak, is 381. And the investor export window is even higher than the parallel market. In other words, one of the official multiple rates of 382 today is higher than the Malams are selling at 381. We'll come back to why we got there. Our external debt, which includes our official debt and trade credit and all of that, average was about $25 billion over the five-year period. This year, we are looking at 31.7. Last year, 31.7, and now it's expanding to 35.8. Little by little, we are beginning to borrow it. But we have to borrow for what? For projects. Because where I come from, they say it's little by little that a rich man becomes a poor man. Okay. Inflation over the five-year period, 2011 to 2015, was 10%. In 2016, it went as high as 18.5, and today we are celebrating that it was down to 17.12. Terms of trade, with 2005 at 100, in the five-year period we came down to 37, 2016 down to 14, and then now we're up to 15.9. In other words, if you converted all your money and your assets into dollars in 2005, if you came back to this country today, you will be, five, what, five times more than if you exited this country. So when Andrew was che- saying I was threatening to check out, maybe it was a good thing that he did check out. The private consumption, that is the aggregate of everything. We had $359 billion worth of consumption a year over the five-year period. In 2016, came down, and now we are looking at $350 billion. Income per head, because of the exchange rate, was as high as $3,000 over the five-year period. It's down to 2,171 in 2016, and to go lower, to 1,829 next year, in 2017. Corporate corporate profitability grew by 19.74% over the five-year period. That means even though inflation was 10%, corporate profits were growing at a rate, twice the rate of inflation. In 2016, corporate profitability dropped by 17%. So you had inflation of 18%, profits dropped by 17%, and unemployment, underemployment also increased. So the misery index is 50.3%. 50.3% of Nigerians are miserable. In 2017, we hope and we are beginning to see signs, early signs of recovery. But signs of recovery, symptoms of recovery, does not mean full recovery. It means that you can't, you can't take, take, stop taking your vacuum because your temperature dropped. If you stop, you will go back to where you started. So... The stark reality is that Nigeria's economic malaise is not a a recent problem. It's a crisis that has its origin in what we call the oil windfall, followed by the oil shortfall, followed by inadequate adjustment, and followed by going back to where we started. We do not learn any lessons. And those who do not learn from history will themselves become history. And those who fail to plan, right, right, I plan to fail. And what I heard before was that if you keep on doing the same thing and getting the same result and you expect to change, that is the definition of what? Insanity. Okay. Now, for five years, we ran a country on empty. 2016 was a year of reckoning, delayed, inadequate policy decisions, inconsistency, political interference, and erosion of investor confidence. The chairman said it, Dr. Collard said it, and Pat Tomy also said it. Now, what are the lessons, because the night is far gone? The lessons are, one, economic downturn is not an economic accident. It happens in a cycle. Oil windfalls will be followed by oil shortfalls. And if you learn nothing, inadequate adjustment, you'll go back to where you started. And if you learn no lessons, you are only waiting for the next economic accident. Vietnam, all of us here are old enough, or those of you who are old enough, we know that everybody in America talked about Vietnam. Vietnam was 21 years of conflict between the South Vietnamese and the North Vietnamese. Nobody believed. Agent Yellow, mustard gas, everything was short of using the atomic bomb was used on Vietnam. Who can believe? And this war lasted from 1954 to 1975. All you have to do is watch the movie called The Deer Hunter. Christopher Walken, Robert De Niro. Today, Vietnam is one of the fastest-growing economies One of the most stable economies, and they learned free market and a mixed economy from the West. During the crisis, the South Asian crisis, Malaysia, Vietnam, Indonesia all suffered because they opened up their markets, they had odd money. What happened? They learned, they made their adjustments. So that when the next crisis came, the Mexican peso crisis, they were hardly hurt. So that when the recession, the global recession came, you find that the Southeast Asian countries were hardly disturbed. But the question is that if we take a look at our own Nigerian economy, we went from one naira to four naira to a dollar, four naira to seven naira to a dollar, seven naira to 21 naira to a dollar, overnight we went to 88, 88 naira. When Abbasanjo came in, it was 118. So Ludo went from 118 to 160 and brought it back. What lessons have we learned? Each windfall followed by a shortfall. Each shortfall followed by adjustments. Adjustment followed by a banking crisis. Banking crisis followed by another windfall. And no lessons learned. The difference this time is that the next windfall is not going to come so quickly. It's going to take long and you are going to have to absorb and assimilate the current crisis, and you, have to, you are going to be forced to learn from the lessons of today. What, so the lessons are there. That everything that has been said conceptually by the previous speakers, and I'm not going to bore you with that, but the current situation, say the conditions are improving slowly, but not sufficient. You hear the good news, I hope, tomorrow. The MPC will announce their outcome at 2 o'clock, but the Bureau of Statistics will announce at 10 o'clock. OPEC will meet on the 25th and extend the output cut, probably exempt Nigeria again. The acting president has been to the Delta six times this year, so there have been no blowouts for Kadus is back. Ascrabos will be back in another month or two. So the gas pipelines will be there. Oil pipelines will be there. So courtesy of oil production and price, the Nigerian economy will model through this and get where we are. But it is not sufficient. It is necessary, but not enough. What is needed are all those things which we talked about. Leadership, sacrifice, skills, Investor confidence, not playing games, structural change in the markets. So, what has happened? Our reputation will be slowly rebuilt. Our credit and will be slowly rebuilt. And so, you have the MTF, you have the ERGP, you have all sorts of things. All of these things will be meaningless if. There's no investor coming. And when I say investor coming, the investors are you, the people in this room. Because the best Chinese restaurants are the ones that you see Chinese people eating. For any Chinese man to leave his home to go and eat in a Chinese the food there must be better than the food he cooks at home. The best investors, if they see Nigerians not investing in their country, will not invest in your country. So the confidence starts with you. So the budget has been passed. Like we said today, Lagos, 863 billion Naira. Lagos' budget grew by 23%. Lagos accomplished 71% of its budget targets because of the IJR and all the other things that are here. What Nigeria, we went in 2016 to 2017, went from six trillion to seven trillion. Well, if you use the exchange rate differential, Actually, we contracted. So, we are going to have to, I think, before the year runs out, come up with a supplementary budget. The ease of doing business endeavors by acting president, going to the airports, concessioning the airports, and doing all of these things are to make sure that people come in. Yesterday, visa upon arrival queue was maybe about 15 people And they got out of the airport earlier than those of us with Nigerian passports and those with visas. Something is changing. You paid there and then, and they were treated because the visa upon arrival process is for investors or those who have something to do in Nigeria. And it worked wonderfully. I was impressed. So, there are some policies that we would not like to do, but we'll have to what we call involuntary change. And this will force us to do a lot of things. Involuntary change is more effective than voluntary change because you're doing it because you're forced to do it. You're not doing it because you feel like doing it. If you ask a small child to drink medicine, one is sweet and he will never drink his medicine. You'll come back and meet your child with high temperature and convulsion, convulsion, so you have to compel. That child taking that never queen is an involuntary action. So four things are going to happen this year. One, the oil markets will remain volatile, and we have to deal with that. Two, the economic recovery will be slow, painful, and weak, but it is a recovery anyway. The artificial currency stabilization will be replaced by a structural change in the market whether we like it or not and the high interest rate environment is also here so people in this room are professionals and you are going to have to deal with some things how will your business as a, an accountant how will your business as a manufacturer how will your business as an oil marketing man how will your business as a construction person how will your business as a holding a shopping mall how will it be affected by one oil price volatility how will it be affected by this weak recovery? Is the recovery strong enough to make, make sure I remain in business? How will it be affected by the replacement of artificial currency stabilization with a natural currency stabilization mechanism? And more than anything else, how can I survive in a high interest rate environment? This afternoon, Ghana reduced... in fact, In spite of the fact that inflation increased, Ghana reduced its interest rate by 1%. Between November and now... They've actually reduced interest rates by 300 basis points. But Ghana has worked very hard. So, in the meantime, the stock market has seen values. will give you an example. Nestle was as high as one, almost 1,000 naira when the parallel market was 200 naira. So, essentially, it was $5 a share. Today, it's 700. When the investor window is three eighty, Nestle is two dollars a share. So if you're an international investor, if you sold at five dollars, you can buy it at two dollars. And Nestle announced this huge performance. Again, okay. so stock prices have responded to the strong Naira. Most sectors have recorded impressive Q1 results, and the winning sectors are FMCGs, banks, oil and gas, and industrials. The new FX window is a long-run positive for equities, and many people are waiting and seeing. We don't know what's happening in Nigeria. And I'll come back to the risks. But the banking industry is an industry that you need to look at very closely. Most of the profits that are announced were translation gains because the Naira weakened. If the Naira appreciates, translation gains become translation losses. And those companies that were reporting translation losses Will report translation gains. Because Lafarge and all these other guys. Now, I'm being told that I should wind up very quickly. So, I'll flash to the Nigerian bank industry. It has grown rapidly. It's currently in a crisis recovery mode. Strong growth in revenues expected in 2017. Better efficiency amongst players will lead to larger profits. 58% of industry revenues concentrated in tier one banks. And you saw today alone, they got 100. 30 billion from advising you from credit alerts or something like that. I don't know what it was. Despite measures and consolidation in Tier 2, net interest revenue is the main driver of growth. And leading to more efficient and lower cost to income ratios and PPT growth slowed by 50% due to impairments but will begin to improve as we go along. We saw Nestle's numbers and they look good. Revenue up by 69%, gross margin up by 32%. But one thing you have to look at, uh, free cash flow. Free cash flow actually declined because they were investing in capacity. Oil and gas downstream is consolidating from after fragmentation. Here is a sector that the Nigerian government will have to subsidize at least for the next year or two. Because if the exchange rate adjustment feeds into petrol price, 145 will become a joke. So that is a sector that needs to be subsidized. Power. Power. Of course, there's no problem. But the most important thing is that what are the, the outlook for 2017? Is that the PIB will be passed, external reserves will come down to 28 because we have to support the Naira, corporate earnings will return weak but impressive growth, and power supply will improve marginally. But the biggest risks are the political risks far outweigh the economic cyclicality risk. The political risks are the unknown quantities. We have no control over the political risks because there are no credible leaders. When Niger- after, Niger- after Nigerian leaders came back from Aburi, it was easy to release people from prison, to call Aminu Kano, to call Joseph Taka, to call Abafami Awolowo to come and lead things. In the East, they also had the same. But today, there are no credible leaders. The political arrangement today is inadequate to support the economic sacrifice that is required. And the political shocks can lead to fragmentation. I said this today. What happened in Eastern Europe is possible, can happen here. You can end up with 16 republics, if not 15 republics. And I said it today very easily. So you can have the Shekri Republic of Nigeria, you have the Orobo Republic, you have the Ijo Republic, the Isoko Republic, and all of that. And people will recognize them. European nations it is easier and better to have these republics supported with their submarines and there's nothing the Nigerian or whatever is left of Nigeria can do to stop this. In that situation, if you do nothing about the economy, do nothing about the political arrangement, the consequence is fragmentation of the federation. Something has to happen to ensure that the people's trust is restored, that the confidence, there's no big difference. God does not love Nigeria more than he loved Lebanon. God does not love Nigeria more than he loved Rwanda. God does not love Nigeria more than he loved Coast. the political and economic arrangement have to be aligned for you to have a future of that. So I'm just pointing out this. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you.